This is OPI Talk, the voice of the business products industry. Hello and welcome to another episode of OPI Talk. I'm your host, Andy Braithwaite. Uh, Today my guest is none other than my colleague and OPI Director, Janet Bell. Hi, Janet. Good morning. How are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Okay, great. Now I've got you back on OPI Talk to talk about some upcoming OPI events. And we're going to focus mainly on the OPI European Forum, which is taking place from the 22nd to the 24th of May. Now, you were just reminding me that this is actually the first in-person European Forum since 2019, which is kind of hard to believe and then not so hard to believe when you realise what's gone on since then. So I guess it is great to be able to hold a live event again. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's incredible. When I actually counted it up, I couldn't believe it was that long. But yeah, 2019. So it's the first time a forum has taken place. I mean, we've managed to do partnership this year as well. So yeah, I feel like things are getting back to business in Europe, which is great. Yeah. And just looking at the changes that have happened since 2019, been quite a lot of them, even mm. if you don't even talk about COVID and all that. So especially on the reseller side, the market dynamics have changed quite a lot. Staples and Office Depot are no longer in existence as pan-European entities. We've seen the rise of Raja and Bruno and others buying bits of those businesses. We had the the demise and then the resurrection of Spices in the UK and the emergence of of Paragon as as a force there. And we've also got quite a few new resellers on our radar are thinking of the likes of Schaefer Shop uh, and RS Group and, and those kinds of businesses. Um, what, what's the reseller list looking like at the forum? Have we got a good selection? Yeah, it's great, actually. Interestingly, this year, the resellers were pretty much the first to sign up. I think we had more resellers booked before anybody else, which maybe says something about their ambitions to grow and change and diversify and looking for new information. <laughs> But yeah, we've got a great list. I mean, I think pretty much everyone you've just mentioned is attending and as well as some of the other players such as Lomax, Evo, Wolf, um, Raja Group, Office World, Office Supplies Denmark, Commercial. Yeah, look, mm. big, big range. Okay. All right, good. Now, OPI is back in Amsterdam again for, for the forum, just a, f- a few weeks actually after the, the partnership event and the European Office Products Awards. I hope that's not confusing anybody by oh returning to the same place. Andy, I will <laughs> never do this again. It didn't even occur to me. A- Amsterdam just felt like such a great location, especially post-Brexit, you know, in getting rid of all those sort of travel constraints of coming to the UK and um, central, easy to get to. The pricing was good for people. But yeah, having two events in Amsterdam that close to part has caused us no end of problems. I think we're over it now. Now that partnership is gone, people now, if you say, are you going to Amsterdam? There's only one place to go. But before that, yes, it definitely, um, I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely be looking for a different destination next time. Just as a reminder to to anyone that's been to OPI events in Amsterdam before, it's not the same venue, is it, this time? (laughs) No. (laughs) And we chose that deliberately, actually. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Acura that we go to for partnership is it useful hotel but um yeah it's nice to have a change and this one is a little bit more downtown it's a little bit more funky down on the canal and um yeah be nice to go somewhere different but it's still a really nice property so i think we'll be well looked after there and um some nice restaurants nearby for us to go and enjoy too okay great now i know 
you and, and, and others on the events team have been working hard on the programme this year. Any, anything you can tell us about that? Just sort of the thinking behind the programme and perhaps some of the some of the the highlights? Yeah, I mean, obviously the programme is the core of the event, really. And um, we do spend quite a lot of time sort of interviewing and chatting to past delegates, key industry leaders, people who are sort of working at the coalface, as it were, to hear what it is, where their challenges are, what it is they want to know about. And what was interesting this year was that there was a lot of requests for external speakers, people bringing their knowledge of some key topics, but bringing in examples from other channels, other industries, you know, people, how things, how problems have been solved outside of our channel and how we can learn from that. And that was quite a common request. So we definitely gone down that approach for some of the key big topics to try and um, get that outside knowledge, which we're really pleased about. We've got some fantastic speakers interesting you you should say that because instead <laughs> of us rambling on about about the the program and the content we're actually going to hear from some of those very speakers and our colleague chris exner did some interviews recently with, with three of those speakers james brown mick hayes uh, and, and perry timms and we're going to listen to what they say about some very important topics which are pricing management the office of the future uh, and how to develop develop the right teams and, and the challenge of, of HR at the moment. So don't go away. Stay with me, Janet. Um, listen to those interviews, and then we'll be back to talk about the, some more about the forum and other OPI events straight after those. Excellent. James Brown, senior partner at Simon Kutcher and Partners, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you, uh, you, you, you specialize in commercial strategy with special focus on pricing, and that is with consumers, retail, and B2B. Uh, and I'm delighted you will be talking about pricing at the European Forum on the 22nd to the 24th of May in Amsterdam. And I have 397 questions for you. Great. And the first question is, um, you, you often talk about the best in class management of pricing in an inflationary environment. Can you give me a flavor of what that is and what looks good? Absolutely. I mean, if we think, think about the context we're in, you know, we're, we've had an unprecedented wave of inflation. We, we all know that. We've seen commodities, we've seen energy, and now we're seeing wages. Um, that's going to keep coming and we have an awful lot more price increases to come they're still flowing through the system a lot of businesses simply are not great at this there there's a real leadership gap and a muscle memory gap so we've forgotten as business leaders we've forgotten how to pass through price increases so there are very few people out there who are truly best in class there are some who have managed to pass through blunt price increases purely because they are must have. Their brands are powerful, their supply chains are strong, they, they're pushing through price increases and people just have to accept them. There are others who are doing this and finding that they're losing significant volume when they do so. So best in class companies are really doing this in a very structured, very systematic way. They're analyzing what their customers can bear, they're really configuring the target pricing that they want to go after overall and how that breaks down across customers and products. They're preparing themselves and their sales teams 
for implementation. You know, who's going to say what, to who, when, how are they going to communicate it to the market? And then critically, they're implementing it and following that implementation really well, making sure they know exactly what KPIs they're going to track, exactly how they're going to react when things don't go to plan. When their biggest customer turns around and flat out says they're delisting them, what are they going to do about it? When they suddenly find that they've got volume that's slipping away that they weren't expecting, how will they react? And having a very carefully set up system and internal set of processes and responsibilities that mean they can monitor what's going on and react in real time. Yeah. yeah. And, and do you see differences between um, brands, manufacturers, wholesalers, resellers, or uh, is that not different by channel? It, it's different. It is different by channel. It's different by type of business. It's different by geography. It's different by nature of the product that you're selling. Uh, the fundamentals are, are common across all of these. If you're a, if you're a manufacturer pushing things through to, to wholesalers or, or to resellers, you have a different set of considerations. Your, your ability to obviously swap suppliers uh, is very different to if you're a retailer and you just want to swap suppliers and wait for, pick the one who hasn't passed their price increase through yet. Um, You've also got the fact that you're, you're dealing with different considerations. How do you keep the, the factories running? Can you afford the, the volume drop and still keep your unit costs where you want them to be? But the, the, the basics are, how do I get the right price level increase target? How do I prepare? And how do I follow implementation? They're, they're common across all three. Uh, just the lenses at which you look at them, the, 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 the dynamics that you're facing are different, but the process, actually remains the same. Yeah. And I've, James, I've, I've heard you talk about a capability gap. Um, can, can you explain to me what, what you mean by that? I mean, if we think about the inflation levels we're seeing now, uh, on a general inflation, take the UK market, the one I operate in, it's just north of 10%. It was up above 11% three months ago. That varies hugely, of course, by category. If you're looking at, if you were in the unlucky position to be in food, you're seeing 16% plus. Um, but if we look at packaging, we've seen record increases there. We've seen huge increases in some of these sectors, but no one's experienced anything like this for 20 plus years, really. So if you think about the management teams that are in place right now, they haven't been through this kind of wave of cost increase necessitating a price increase. So the muscle memory, the, 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 the organizational capability to put this price increase through and do it in the right way just isn't there. So people are rapidly trying to get price into the market. Some people went out three, four, five, six times to their customer base in the last 12 months to ask for price increases, often promising them each time that this would be the last one. Now, we're not saying that people need to be able to predict perfectly where cost is going. No one would have got that right if we had this process 24 months ago. But the, the, the ability to know what to do and how to communicate price, how to target it, how to track it, that's missing. And this flows all the way through from there are very few C-level leaders in business today who've been through this kind of process, certainly in Western European and North American markets. Then when you look at sales leadership and finance leadership, the same. The sales teams are being tasked with going out and having these difficult conversations with customers, often without having the right collateral in place. 
They don't have the right incentive schemes in place. Finance teams don't have the mechanisms in place to track. So everyone is learning on the go. And that creates a problem because it means people are making mistakes and they're making big mistakes sometimes, which see them lose large amounts of volume where they didn't have to. It sees them committing to supplying at prices which are, are too low to be viable. Uh, Mick Hayes, you're the, the vice president at uh, the Future of Workspace and Imaging at IEC yep. uh, and yep. for EMEA. And you offer strategic direction to brands and end user resellers on the on the future of, of work. And I'm absolutely uh, fascinated talking to you. Oh, and you. I'm, I'm very delighted you're going to speak at the European Forum uh, 22nd yeah. to the 24th of May in Amsterdam. Yeah, looking forward to it. So, yeah, me too. Um, Mick, I've got a, a number of questions for you. Uh, and the first one is really interesting, uh, something that I think a lot of people are interested in, uh, and that is downturn economics. Um, will the recession shift power back to employers? I'd be interested in your opinion. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people are asking that question. And, and you know, what we've seen is we've had record levels of job vacancies in the developed markets um employees have found employees have found it easy to shift jobs and they've really had the upper hand in negotiations um you know we, we we've all been hit by the the recent economic situation and um job markets are tightening so the the question is you know can employers who typically want employees back in the office more than employees want to be in the office, can can they start enforcing things? And you know, we're constantly monitoring that. We're constantly being asked it. But what we're seeing is that certain classes of worker are being affected, but those knowledge workers, there's still not enough of them. That still is holding up at the moment. So that balance of power isn't shifting at the moment and isn't looking like certainly as we go into the, the next six months or so. So, so you, you you think it might be for certain categories of of workers and yeah. but but not for the majority. Yeah. So if we're looking at the the people who are going to the office or um, you know knowledge workers working from home, flexible working, that whole piece, we've still got uh, a shortage of positions. The the employees still have the upper hand at the moment. Very interesting. Uh, and I know you, you've done a lot of research on this, and I'm, yeah. I'm really looking forward to hearing this at the European Forum. Uh, very interesting stuff. And um, the other question I want to ask you is equipping workers and workspaces in the future office. Uh, and, and that is obviously a huge topic, but uh, um, yeah. you just want to give us a flavor of what you're going to say in Amsterdam. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we've done a ton of research, you know, but um, we we kind of thought we'd find the best company, analyse what they do, and then publish that as, you know, a guide to best practice. We The, the initial survey said nine, less than 10% of companies in Europe have a flexible working plan that they've implemented fully and that they're happy with so less than 10 percent. less than 10 percent. a lot of people have bought the wrong thing for the wrong reasons um and then when we went out to say okay let's try and find some of those uh, and we also interviewed a lot of flexible space operators 
you know, they managed in total 2 million square feet. So we're looking for the, the best practices and there wasn't really any company that's nailed it. So we then looked at um, best practices in individual areas. And again, we didn't find it because they conflicted. High security equals low employee experience, which you want to avoid. So then you really get into what is the purpose of the office? How is it used? Why, do, why should people go in? How do we stop disadvantaging the people at home? Just a, a ton of stuff. We, we could go on for a long time and I appreciate we don't have the, the time at the moment. Yeah, Mick, it sounds to me, um, obviously we're, we're in the business supply space and, and you're familiar with the, with the industry. Yeah. Uh, it sounds to me like there are tremendous opportunities for, for both manufacturers, brands and, and resellers huge huge opportunities it's um you know the holy grail here is that people want a flexible office space that can shift its purpose today we've got a sales meeting and we need a big open space you know tomorrow we've got some programmers who need a quiet space to work and we we've got external people coming in we've got meeting rooms and then Every day that changes and we need to be able to flex that space. That's not possible, really, but you can make it easy with technology. You know, a key thing is the employee experience. They need easy to use tools. And believe me, there are a lot of tools here that are not easy to use, that are not presenting people in the best light. That's one thing. And one key thing is you've got to be able to make the journey seamless. If I'm going to the office and I have to book a car parking space, meeting room, desk, etc., I just want one app to do that. But the, the, once you start getting into that smart office space and connecting the devices, there's huge opportunities because you can use that data to optimize, flex, and predict the office. So just so much opportunity. Um, companies very, very interested in the office equipment. Yeah. You, you, yeah, sorry, I could go on forever. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Well, I would just say, if you're a manufacturer, if you're a reseller, if you're a wholesaler, come to the European Forum and uh, and listen to Mick. Um, uh, we're going to carry on talking after this, and I'm, yes. I'm just very, very curious to to learn more from you. So, uh, oh, thank you, Mick. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Absolutely, to hear you. Perry Timms, a very good morning to you. You are the founder, and I like this a lot, Chief Energy Officer at PTHR. Uh, you're not in the energy industry. Your business deals with people and transformational HR. Uh, and PTHR works with many European companies, large and small, uh, and you're also active in the business supply uh, industry. Um, so, Perry, the significant changes that, that were triggered by COVID, rapid technological advances and demographic trends have presented many companies with a lot of opportunities but also challenges in terms of how to attract and retain talent and how to get the best people uh, how to get the best out of people and my first question will be um, what are these challenges and opportunities 
Well, thanks, uh, Chris. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting that I'm, uh, I guess, identified as an HR professional. However, I think this is something that goes beyond the realms of people, policies, practices and so on. It's the entirety of business, isn't it? It's the market you're in. It's the model you have, as you said. It's the technology you deploy. It's what your customers demand and need. And it's what stakeholders are looking to you for uh, as an enterprise. So, um uh, I think if it were a sporting uh, arena, we would say we've got a game with many tactics and many expectations and many definitions of success other than just scoring the most. Um, so I think that's probably what's taxing lots of people when it comes to where to play, how to play and what to prioritise. So my experience has been that people have um, lots of confusing, I guess you'd say, sort of inputs to that and, and frontiers to sort of push towards, which whilst they're opportunities can be a bit puzzling and then they suddenly become problems. So um, I, I guess it's the complexity and the volume and the veracity, I suppose, of those challenges and opportunities that people are trying to strategize to going, I've not had it this complex before. I've not had it this difficult. And and perhaps the um, the line of sight has been more foggy and, and, and distant uh, perhaps from us. So um, yeah, I don't think any industry is immune to it, Chris. I think um, whatever sector you're in, whether it seems to be booming or or sort of plateauing at the moment, those challenges are really kind of ubiquitous and present. Absolutely. And you, you work with, um, as I said, many European companies of all sizes mm -hmm. and you work in our industry uh, as well. What, what have you done uh, with those companies? How did you help them? Mm. So I think a couple of examples that spring to mind is, is that clarity piece to start with. Um, so some companies have got successful enterprises, but what they're starting to see is that their allure as an employer uh, is challenged and people look at an industry and kind of go, is that a place I want to go? Um, uh, because th there are obviously lots of attractive uh, industries in things like green energy, uh, in things like technology that tend to capture the headlines. But equally, what we're seeing now is those industries are, uh, I guess you'd say, sort of challenged in their own way because of a lack of skills so that they can't make the progress as quickly as they possibly can. Or in the case of technology, they all seem to be downsizing and, and, and offloading. So the, the polish has somewhat come off of, of that. Now, that's a good thing, though, for people in different kinds of markets. If we've got traditional enterprises that are stable and consistent and are gradually incrementing things like their use of technology, because suddenly they become a safer place to go and operate. They become a place where actually the green agenda perhaps is really present, but um, needs amplification and, and perhaps a little bit more attention. So um, I think industries that might rule themselves out by going, yeah, but we're not as glamorous as um, uh, they've got a lot to offer. It's just how it's positioned. I think how people can find what it is about you that makes you an attractive enterprise to come and join and learn and develop and, and build a career from um, is probably underplayed. And, and now's the time to overplay that and really put the message out strongly. And how do you do that? What, what do you tell companies and how does the mm. process work? So the, the the cliche sounding starting point really is why do you exist? You know, what what thing is it that you do that you do best and well um, and that you can be proud of? Um, and that's not just in perhaps the efficiencies of your supply chain, perhaps. It's the sort of purposeful nature of, of what you stand for. Now, the one thing I will say about um, industries is they are gradually realising a lot more that they're part of an ecosystem that includes community, social mobility, equity and inclusion. So 
organizations that are, are saying things and acting on them of that sort of nature are appealing to people because they feel on the right side of what the future work proposition looks like so i've been helping companies understand a bit more perhaps about their social mission so that we elevate that so it's not just a byproduct of doing well it's part of who you are so whether that's adopting charities whether that's voluntary work whether that's doing much more outreach in the community uh, attacking into um, uh, apprenticeship schemes um, bringing in more um, sort of mobility friendly um, positions for people with disabilities all of those things I think are now starting to become really attractive in the market Um, and then if you're good at your core business then that's that's obviously a kind of recipe for success so with clients I've been working on lots and lots of those kinds of things people experience you might call it yeah yeah last question perry um you you talked a little bit about sort of the, the complexity of, of work and life uh, especially over the last two or three years yeah what do you say are, are sort of the, the key trends um at the moment I, I guess we can't avoid the sort of uh, surge on digitization anyway, and things like um, the recent phenomena of uh, of chat GPT as a as an interface and a, and a knowledge sharing mechanism has captured a lot of attention and 100 million users in record time proves that, you know, technology hasn't peaked, you know, there's still a lot more to come. But, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it absolutely alters your product or service. It, it's just perhaps how you go about doing what you do. Technology will have an increasingly positive impact and give you a chance to augment the skill and creativity that you've got from people. I think that's a crucial thing. It's not about displacing people. It's about augmenting them, about liberating them and about really... Um, I suppose, exercising the things that people will always be known for, like I say, creativity, diligence, devotion, that kind of thing. Um, So that's a big thing. Uh, I think the other thing is the kind of economic turmoil, I suppose. What we can't ignore is at the moment, it's a cost of living crisis. But I think we are seeing perhaps the break or the emergence of potentially new capital type of systems. Um, So I'm a big believer and a big fan in in things like triple bottom line and lots more about um, uh, investment in planetary concerns. So I think we're all going to face those. So I think we'll see much more of an ecological uh, viewpoint on things like finance and much more regenerative capital rather than what we've had up to now, which is lots of free money. And now all of a sudden that stopped. So I think there's a there's a, a shift coming in that one. So I, I'd keep my radar tuned to the emergence in the digitization world and then the, um, I guess, the sort of next version of capitalism that we're probably starting to see the beginning of creation of. Yeah, brilliant. I can't wait to hear you, Perry. <laughs> really looking forward to Amsterdam. Thank you, Chris. Awesome. Uh, me too. See you there. That's all we have time for today. Um, but I should say that all three speakers will be hosting roundtables so you get to hear their presentations and also to interrogate them directly and ask the key questions you may have for them, which will add value and help your business. That's all from me, but I hope this snapshot will encourage you to join us in Amsterdam from the 22nd to the 24th of May. Hi, Janet. Are you still there? I'm still here. Right. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear what they have to say about these topics. All right. They were and just, um, def- definitely yeah. some new information there. Yeah, they were just extracts from those mm. interviews. Now, what I'm going to do is put the link to the to the, the full webinar uh, where people can listen to the, the whole of those interviews and that, that link will go into the podcast description. Great. 
Okay, so it's not just all about the program, is it? The uh, the forum is a great networking event as well. Oh, I mean, that's always. I mean, I think in our industry, as everybody always says, it's always about the people. And I think this event is no exception. So although the program has to be strong because it's important to come away with that knowledge, I think everybody knows that the networking is what matters. So um, we have generous breaks. There's plenty of time for you to chat to people during the program. And we also have two evening networking dinners where you really get a chance to um, chat to people. And probably one of the highlights, bizarrely, is where we combine the program and the networking is the round tables, where um, because you're in very small groups, sort of 10 people with a you know round table leader, you actually really, really get to discuss ideas with your colleagues and get to know them all. So I've generally found that people, especially if they're new to the event, you know, if they attend all the round tables, by the end of that, they kind of know 20 people pretty well, which is, mm. you know, a real asset in terms of getting to know people at the event. Okay. Yeah. Something else worth mentioning, I think, is that the event takes place under Chatham House rules, which if anyone listening doesn't know what Chatham House rules are, it means that myself and other editorial colleagues who who might be in attendance are not allowed to directly report on things that have been said. So everything is said in the strictest confidentiality. Yeah, that's true. We've done that for a good few years now and, and it's been really successful. I mean, it's frustrating for us because obviously when someone <laughs> says something really juicy and you want to be able to report it, you're not allowed. But it does actually allow people to ask quite candid questions and to answer them candidly, you know, and to really share some information within that group of, you know, like-minded individuals. So as much as it frustrates us, I think it's been a good benefit for the event overall. Yeah. Now, this podcast is going out on the 28th of April. And that's just a few days before the early bird uh, rate fin- finishes. So there's a chance for people listening to this straight after it's published, they can sign up and get a really nice discount. Exactly. So, yeah, let's hope they all read, read as soon, listen, sorry, as soon as it's out. <laughs> okay. So, so again, uh, all the links to the forum will be in the d- podcast description for those oh thanks andy that'd be great yeah okay so that's that's the forum any other opi events coming up in the next few months yeah i mean it's great it does feel like we're getting back to a full schedule now we've obviously got the um neopra awards has just opened so if you're in america and you'd like to enter a product into that that's now open another link for you to put in your show notes andy (laughs) i mean (laughs) It's going to be all links and nothing else. Yeah. So so they'll 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 take place during Industry Week, which is, I think, at the beginning of October October in New Orleans. Is that right? That's correct. So, yeah, so anybody can enter. In fact, interestingly, over the last few years, I've noticed a few European companies entering the North American Office Products Awards. I mean, Collop won the... um, won the award for their printy um, product, their electronic printy product in North America, which really helped them launch sales of that into the North American channel when they didn't really have much distribution. So, mm. yeah, maybe it's not just for Americans to enter. Then obviously we've got our global forum, which is in November, 5th to the 7th of November, which is already open for bookings. Another link. <laughs> <laughs> You're never going to speak to me again. Um, yeah, so that's that's and that's booking really well already. So I'm pleased about that. That's in Chicago again. And then I guess the last thing we're doing at the moment is all our VIP dinners. So if you are a corporate member or an exec or a VIP member or a corporate member, you get invited to these exclusive dinners that take place in the UK, Europe and the US. And they're really popular, really nice opportunity to get together with, you know, it's usually around 20 people and talk about, you know, the current events 
and they've proven really popular. Yeah. Okay, good. So I'll, I'll put links to all those uh, <laughs> in, the, in the podcast description. I hear you're off to the US soon. Is that right for an OP world, the office products, women in leadership? You've got a, a retreat or, or something coming up? Yeah, yeah, we have our annual retreat, which is a sort of really nice combination of um, discussions and business topics, as well as sort of personal development and plenty of social time as well. So just trying to enable other women in leadership. And it seems like we're getting more and more of them, mm. So, which is great. And just, you know, supporting each other and encouraging us people to stay in the business supplies channel and maybe try and grow the diversity of the channel. So yeah, ambitious okay. targets. Yeah. If people want to join OP Will who aren't already members, what should they do? Um, the easiest way is just to go to the website, which is just opwill.com, another link for your show notes. Um, yeah, that's that's probably the easiest way just to join. It's, it's free to join and, um, you know, we'll share our activities. I mean, you're probably a bit late to join the retreat, seeing as it starts tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, there'll be future activities and meetups at different industry events that are always very nice. So, yeah, yeah, I encourage you if you are a woman in business supplies do get in touch okay all right janet great talking to you today and uh very interesting listening to those extracts of those interviews from uh, the speakers at the the european forum just as a reminder to everyone european forum taking place at the pestana amsterdam riverside hotel in amsterdam the netherlands from the 22nd to the 24th of may and for more details Guess what? Check out the link in the podcast description. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm looking forward to that event and it's been lovely to talk to you too, Andy, and hopefully we'll catch up soon. Okay. Great, Janet. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. If you have got this far, then thank you for listening to this episode of OPI Talk. Please check out our website, opi.net, for news, interviews, analysis, and much more from the business products world. We've also got a great app that you can download from the App Store or Google Play. Just search for OPI Magazine. And we hope you will join us again soon for another episode of OPI Talk.